This morning, I want to continue my series entitled Fearless. It's the longest series I have ever preached in my life. And I am having a great time just diving into the word and learning more and more about David, who God says is a man after his own heart. And certainly David is not perfect. David does a lot of things that are wrong, but there's something about David that gets God to stand off his throne and take notice of a man who loves God even when he fails. And last week, we began to look at another stage of David's life, another season of David's life. You know, I know that up to this point, David is successful in all that he does. The Bible says that that David is pliable, he's obedient, he's trusting God, but, but then David becomes king. And when David becomes king, pride just kind of starts to get a hold of his heart. And and David thinks, you know what, I don't need to be accountable to anyone any longer. I can do whatever I want. And I can get away with certain things. The higher you go in leadership, the more accountability you need. And David forgot that. And David forgot the season that he was in. He was in a season of wrestling, with not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. And And he left his arm off and the Bible says when he should have been at war he was actually resting and being lazy and he got caught up in sin and the Bible says that he, he had an affair with a woman and as a result of that there were incredible consequences in his life and now we look at 2nd Samuel chapter 12 And we look and see how God deals with David, how God sends a man to David. Notice what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb he had bought. He raised it. And it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. Anybody have a dog that sleeps with you in, the, in your bed? Yeah, you're weird. You're crazy, man. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you're the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you. And you had this, you and and, and if, listen what he says. And I gave you your master's wives, his master's wives, and I gave all of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, listen, I would have given you even more, David. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. 
You killed them with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did what you did in secret. I will do these things in broad daylight before all of Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against God. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. He's forgiven you, David. You're not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. And David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Notice, then David got up from the ground. After he washed and put lotions and changed his clothes, and he went into, into the house of the Lord to worship. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now he is dead. Why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. I will go to him. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. And she gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Now, as we look into this scripture, we understand that there's a season in David's life in which David now has to learn and grow in a way that he never expected. It really is a season of humbling. It's a season where David has to deal with his failure. It's a season in which David has to suffer the consequences of his sin. Listen to me. God is a grace-filled God. God is a merciful God. God loves us with an everlasting love. But let not a man mock God. The Bible says, whatsoever a man soweth, he also reapeth. Whatsoever a man does, he's going to reap those consequences in his life listen to the way Paul the apostle says he says don't be misled remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it a man will always reap just the kind of crop he sows 
If he sows to please his own wrong desires, he will be planting seeds of evil and he will surely reap a harvest of spiritual decay and death. But if he plants the good things of the Spirit, he will reap the everlasting life that the Holy Spirit gives him. In other words, you cannot violate God's word. You cannot ignore the Spirit of the Lord. You cannot ignore the voice of God and not suffer the consequences of your sin. And in David's case, the higher you go up the ladder of leadership, the greater the consequence of sin. If you sin as a king, you suffer as a king. If you sin as a leader, you suffer the consequences of a leader. Why? Because when a leader sins, there's much more fallout. There's much more at stake when a leader sins. Why? Because the leader has great influence. And the truth is what a leader does in moderation, his or her followers do in excess. Let me say that again. What a father does in moderation, his sons do in excess. What a mother does in moderation, her daughters do in excess. That's why the Bible says the sins of the parents are visited upon the children to the third generation. You know what that means? It means that they learn bad behavior. And I want you to know, parents, that your kids are watching you more than you think they are. They're watching you when you do wrong. They're listening to what you're doing. They're watching you when you don't do the things that God wants you to do. And they're learning from you. When a leader does something in moderation, his or her followers do in excess. And so the higher you go up in leadership, the greater the consequence of your sin. And in King David's case, when, he, when it comes to his sin, David is not an exception to the rule. Whatever a king does, whatever a man does, he sows and reaps. And last week we looked at how David had sinned. David became proud. We talked about this a few moments ago. David felt like he didn't have to have accountability in his life. David didn't understand the season that he was in, and he sinned. But God loved David, and God sends a man to David to confront David's sin. I want you to know that when God sends you a man or a woman, a prophet or a prophetess or someone who comes to you in the secret place and wants to let you know that they believe that you're doing something wrong, and if it's biblical and you have a respect, a healthy respect for that person, and the Bible says it should be understood with two or three witnesses, and when they come to you, thank God that God still loves you enough to send you a man of God to tell you the truth. Come on, somebody. We're living in a season in the church that the men and women of God don't want to stand on the pulpit any longer and tell people this is right and this is wrong. This is sin and this is not sin. I want you to know, thank God today that there's still men and women of God who want to preach the whole gospel, the whole truth, so that people can live. God, give us leaders that are not afraid to speak the truth in love. God loved David. God loved David as his friend. And God loves you, my friend. And God wants to heal you. And he wants to restore you before it's too late. And so God sent the prophet to David. And Nathan tells David a story, a parable. 
And he talks about this rich man who had all that he ever needed and wanted. Everything was at his disposal. And there was a traveler who came, and, and in the story, Nathan, who so weaves it so wisely, says, but there was a young man, and he had one lamb, and he loved that lamb so much. He's actually getting to a point. He loved the lamb so much. He cherished the lamb so much that he actually slept with the lamb. The lamb slept in his arms. It was so precious to this one man. This one lamb was precious to this one man. And this rich man was so greedy that the Bible tells us that he, he took the lamb and he slaughtered the lamb and he, and he roasted the lamb for this traveler. And David became indignant. David said, who is this man that he would do such an abominable thing? This man must die. David speaks his own sentence over his own life. This man must die. Friend, be, be very careful about how you look at other people, how you judge other people. The Bible says in the same measure that you judge others, it will be met back to you. Be careful how you judge other people. Be careful how you look at other people and say they must die or they must pay because sometimes when you're pointing your finger at others, you're pointing three back at yourself. You're judging yourself. David judges himself and passes the sentence, this man must die. Here's where David's true heart, though, is revealed. Nathan says, David, you're the man. And unlike Saul, David is stricken because David still has a heart after God. After nine months of running from God. After nine months of trying to navigate, pass through his sin, David is found out. But unlike Saul, David said, yes, I have sinned against God. And David makes no excuses. He doesn't say it was the men's fault or it was this or that. He just said, I have sinned against God. I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. And his heart was smitten with conviction. And as a result of that, David repents and Nathan says, because you repented, you surely will not die. But, David, there will still be consequences for your sin. Thank God for the mercy of God in our life. Thank God for the grace of God in our life. Thank God that God still loves us. But friend, we cannot mock God. There will always be consequences for the decisions that we make in our life. Sometimes those consequences cannot, will not be reversed. Because we live in a world with laws. You jump off the Empire State Building, I don't care if you change your mind halfway down, you're going to splat. You might, you might ask God for forgiveness and thank the Lord in another life, you're going to be rejoicing, but in this life, done there are certain laws and Nathan tells David David the Lord must now make you suffer the consequences of your decision this is where David's heart is revealed and this is where God's consequences are revealed in David's life it's not a punishment 
It's not a payment. Listen to me. This is very important. Very critical to the gospel. God is not punishing David because God forgave David. And if God forgives you, he doesn't punish you. You understand? That's very important. He said, your sins have been forgiven. It's not a punishment. It's not a payment. Why? Because David could never pay for his sins. If David could pay, if he could atone for his sin, then Jesus was a fool for dying on the cross. But God applies the New Testament to David's New Testament heart. And God covers his sin. God forgives him of his sin. But God says to David, but David, there will be consequences for your sin. So Nathan declares now, Nathan said to David, you're the man. He said, and I anointed you, God says, and I gave you everything. And if you wanted more, I would have given it to you. But because you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes, and you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own, and you killed him with the sword of the Ammonites, God said, David, I anointed you to this high position, and I gave you everything, the entire kingdom. I even gave you Saul's daughters. And if you wanted more, I would have given it to you. But because you became greedy, you despised the word of the Lord. You despised the Ten Commandments. You violated at least three of them. And you did what was evil in my sight. You set into motion certain consequences. You sowed the seed of death. You sowed the seed of deception. You sowed the seed of sexual perversion. You sowed the seed of rebellion. Now, therefore... The sword, David, will never depart from your house. Three consequences, David. One, the sword will never depart from your house. In other words, David, you will be fighting till the day you die. You will be fighting. You will have no rest because of what you did. David, you will be fighting. You will have your sword on till the day you die. Friend, I want to tell you something. I know that some of us in this room, we have asked God to forgive us of our sins. We have been totally wrecked in our heart. We've been broken. We've been repentant. And God says, I'm thankful that you're repentant and I have forgiven you of your sin. But what you have set in motion, you will fight for the rest of your life. A man who has been um, disloyal to his wife and committed adultery, you will fight for the rest of your life. Consider the consequences, my friend. If you do that, you will fight for the rest of your life. Why? Because your wife will never trust you again. You say, but I want her to trust me. You will fight for that trust for the rest of your life. Because trust is not given, it is earned. And when we make a mistake, when we fail God, when we sin, we're setting into motion Something that we will have to fight for the rest of our life. So it's not worth it. Let me say it again. It's not worth it. Because you'll fight forever. Number two. The Bible says that David, because of what you did, your son, someone close to you, will do what you did in secret. He will do openly. He will take all of your wives and sleep with them in the open. You did it with one woman. He'll do it with many women. What a leader does in moderation, his followers do in excess. And thirdly, your son will die. Now, I want to tell you, some of the things in Scripture are hard to process with our human mind. With our me-centered mind. With always wanting God to answer our questions. With always wanting to make sure that God 
understands how we feel and how we think and how God has to operate within our mindset. Listen to me. The ways of the Lord are so much higher than our ways. The wisdom of God is so much deeper than our wisdom. We cannot see when we're in the middle of this. We cannot see why God would allow such a thing to happen. We can't see the future. But thank God that God is a God of wisdom and love. That God is a a God of wisdom and mercy. God is a wisdom a God of wisdom and grace and so God can see now God can see tomorrow God can see in the future God's got a plan for our life and it's big and maybe we've got to go through some consequences in our life but God's going to do a new thing in our life come on somebody we've got to trust in God even when we're suffering the consequences of our sin knowing that God still loves us and has a plan for our life come on somebody But frankly, this is difficult to grasp. This is a little hard to process. That David's baby would have to take the brunt of the pain and suffering of David's sin. But the truth is, God knew that if he didn't act and bring about the consequences of David's sin, that the Bible tells us that God's enemies... David's enemies would blaspheme God. Not only that, but the truth is all of Israel would be watching as God just slapped David on the wrist and said, don't do it again. There will be no consequences for David. And so God knew the only way that he could literally turn this situation around, the only way that he could show the people of Israel that there are consequences for your sin is to allow his leader that he loved. Do you think that God took delight in doing these things? God never takes delight. You know, there was a saying one time, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I believe that sometimes God is so grieved in his heart. God is so heartbroken in his heart. But God must allow the consequences of our sin lest we are destroyed by him not allowing us to go through the consequences. Just like a child needs to suffer the consequences of their sin, their disobedience. And so God knew that God's enemies would blaspheme God's name, that God's people would run amok and wild. And the sin would be looked upon with utter contempt, not just by by David, but by the enemies and the entire kingdom of Israel. So God had no choice but to send discipline and allow David's child to die. But notice how David responds. David falls on his face and he begins to fast and pray. He was so intently fasting and praying And asking God to relent. Why? Because David was familiar that God at times will relent from what he he said he would do. I'm reminded of Abraham who goes to God and said, God, I know that you want to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But if you find five people in that city, only five, will you turn? Will you change your mind? And God said, I will change my mind. And Abraham at the end of that story says, I know this one thing, Lord, whatever you do, will not the judge of the whole earth do what is right? 
And so David cries out to the Lord. He fasts, and the Bible says even the elders of the house tried to pick him up, but David would not get off the floor. He was praying and seeking God, saying, truly, maybe God will change his mind, just like the Bible tells us in Jonah, that Jonah was sent to the people of Nineveh, and Jonah did not want to go because Jonah knew that God was a God that wanted to relent from uh, catastrophe and judgment. And the Bible says that God sent Jonah, and Jonah finally went, and when he went, he judged the nation and told them that, uh, that condemnation and judgment is coming upon you. He said, but, but fast and pray. And the king of Nineveh, he fasted and prayed and he put sackcloth and ashes on. And the Bible says that God relented from that and changed his mind so much that Jonah was angry with God. But on this occasion, God does not change his mind. And I want to speak to you for a few moments because the truth is it's hard Again, to grasp, to, to really absorb what happened here. That, that this son, this child would die for the sins of his father. But I think we need to look into eternity to understand what happens to little children and infants when they die. Well, I, I'm, I'm really delighted to tell you I'm, I, I, I have such a hope in my heart and an understanding because of what I understand in Scripture. And David actually reveals what happened to this son. David says when he dies, I cannot, I cannot bring him back. But one day I will go to him. David speaks about eternity. God, by the Holy Spirit, opens up David's mind. David's an Old Testament man of God. He doesn't really understand heaven. In the New Testament, we know that there's a heaven because Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go away to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you might be also. Paul the Apostle said concerning those who fall asleep in Christ, that the dead in Christ shall rise, and we that remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air, and we shall... Be in eternity forever. And the book of Revelation gives us a great picture of heaven. And shows us what heaven's going to be like. Friend, I want to tell you, heaven is glorious. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more sickness, no more evil. You need to read a book. Write this down if you ever get a chance. Read, read the book from Randy Alcorn called Heaven. Powerful book. It's a book that describes heaven. And we need to get a glimpse of heaven. We need to understand because some of us, we're so, listen to me, some of us are so earthly minded we're no heavenly good i know there's a saying that says some people are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good well some some christians are so earthly minded that they're no heavenly good and so we 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 pull back the curtains and david says i i can't go to him or he can't come to me but one day i will go to him and so children who don't understand they can't cognitively understand the gospel. The judge of the whole earth will do right, and they will be in heaven. And so David's son goes directly to heaven waiting for David. But I, I want you to notice what happens and how David responds to this situation. Because that's what I want to speak to you for a few moments about. I want to speak to you about when God says no. I want to speak to you about when you have to go through the consequences of your sin. When God doesn't rescue you from the consequences of your sin. 
When God decides that he's going to do something different than what you've asked for, when you get down and pray and pray and pray and ask God for something and God decides to do it a different way, how do you respond to the nose of God? How do you respond to the weight of God? How do you respond when God says you got yourself into this mess and you're going to get yourself out of this mess? How do you respond when God decides that he's not going to answer your prayer the way that you prayed it? I remember as a young man, I was, I was on fire for God. I still am on fire for God. More today than I was when I was a young man. But I remember my, 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 my Aunt Victoria used to pray for my cousin John. My cousin Johnny was one of the oldest. I, I come from a, a, a large Italian family. You don't want to put us all in one room because it'll stink of garlic. And Johnny was one of the oldest. And Johnny, from the day that he was a kid, was a rebellious young man. I mean, he just, he just wanted to live his life any way he wanted to. He checked out of church when he was like four years old, I'm telling you. And Johnny did everything. Johnny was involved in everything. Drugs, alcohol, everything you could think of. Several times when he was so drunk or high, he'd put a gun in his mouth and he wanted to blow himself up. Thank God God kept them from doing that. And my Aunt Victoria used to pray for Johnny, pray for Johnny, pray for Johnny. And I remember when Johnny got sick, he got cancer. That changed his whole entire life. Now, is cancer of God? No. Cancer's of the pit of hell. But you know that God can use anything in our life to get our attention. And sometimes we need a two-by-four over our head. Sometimes we need to stop. Sometimes God has to literally break us to the point that we cry out to God. And maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe you've been running from God. Maybe you've been trying everything in this world. But now you're in this place and you're broken and you need a Savior. I want you to know that your Savior wants to come and take you out of that miry pit and put you on a rock where you can stand again. Come on, somebody. Help me out and say amen. Glory to God. Johnny had gotten cancer, and he gave his life to Jesus. It literally changed his whole life. He was a different man. He was hard, strong. He was a big guy, strong, rebellious, argumentative. But when Jesus came into his life, Jesus changed his life, and he became the soft, pliable, humble man of God. And I remember when he was going through this valley, he couldn't get enough of the word. He couldn't get enough of Jesus because that's all he had was Jesus and the word. And friend, when you get to the last end of, your, end of your journey and you've got nothing left, you've got Jesus. And that's enough. I remember I said, Johnny, I'm going to begin to pray and fast and pray for you until God heals you. And I prayed for months. I fasted, I think it was two or three months, fasted every day lunch, every day, every day, every day, every day. Johnny came to live with me. And when Johnny came to live with me, I gave him my bedroom. And I remember my wife and I, we would pray with Johnny. We'd share the word with him. We'd feed him the word. We'd feed him the word. We'd feed him the word. And he was growing spiritually, growing spiritually. And I prayed and I believed. I held on to God. I fasted. I did everything that I should have done to see a miracle. I stood on God's word. 
I quoted the scripture. I prayed over him. I remember when Johnny went on to be with the Lord. See, God always heals 100% of the time. He heals, whether it's here or on the other side of heaven. God always heals. He's a healing God. Hallelujah. And I remember Johnny had his hands stretched towards heaven when God called him home. And he went into heaven gloriously praising the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember my mom called me up and she said, Stephen, I'm really worried about you. You're a young man of God. And you put so much time and effort into this. You prayed, you fasted, you believed. I'm afraid you're going to get discouraged. I remember preaching at Johnny's funeral. And I remember the peace of God that passed all understanding came into my heart. And I remember seeing Johnny in heaven dancing before the Lord. And I said to my mom, no, 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 no. I'm not going there. There's no way in the world that I'm going to become angry at God. There's no way in the world that I'm not going to trust God in the good times and in the bad times. When I understand why and when I understand, when I don't understand why, I am going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. Why God did what he did is his business. I just got to keep on doing what God told me to do. I'm going to be faithful to God. I don't understand. He understands. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. But friend, the way that you respond to the no's, the way that you respond to the weights, the way that you respond when God chooses to do something different, that what you've asked for is going to determine the rest of your life. So David's son dies. And the elders, the leaders are shaken. They don't know how to go into David's palace, into David's room and tell David, David, your son's dead. They said, lest David might do something desperate. Maybe David, and they were thinking, and, and, and in, the, in the language of what they're saying, they're saying, let's David pull out a sword and kill us all. Because David is not thinking right right now. He's so depressed. He's so weeping and weeping and wailing. He's got sackcloth on. He is so desperate to see his son live that if we give him this bad news, he might lose it. He might do something desperate. He might jump out the window and try to kill himself. So they come shaking. And they notice, David notices that their countenance is down. And David, he, he, he knows something's wrong. He knows something happened. So David asked, is the child dead? Your son is dead. Let's run. And the Bible says that David responds in such a way that we can learn from this in ways that would open up the wisdom of God to us in ways that we've never experienced before. Notice what David does. First thing he does is David changes his position. David changes his posture. David is on his face. David is, is, he doesn't even want to get off the ground. He's so humble before God. He's so broken before God. He has sackcloth and ashes on. 
But the Bible says when he gets the news, he gets up, he changes his position. Now, I'm certainly not telling you that you should not grieve a loss. You need to grieve a loss. You need to cry. You need to say, God, give me strength. When somebody you love, you lose in your life, you need to go through the process of grieving. But then there comes a point in your life where you need to change your position. You need to change your posture. You need to say, okay, at this point now, I better get up. Because if I don't get up, I'm going to get paralysis. I'm going to get paralyzed by my grief. I'm going to get paralyzed by my mourning. I'm going to get paralyzed by my sorrow. Even when you've done something wrong and you're, um, you're actually uh, suffering the consequences of that situation, you You've got to get yourself up. You've got to get yourself up. You've got to change your posture. You've got to say, okay, now it's time to move on. Glory to God. You've got to forget what is behind and say, yes, God, there's something new coming my way. Are you hearing me today? Are you hearing me today? Sometimes you can get stuck in that position of grieving and mourning And then you start feeling sorry for yourself. But David said, it's time for me to change my position. What do you do when you ask God, you plead with God, you fast and you pray, you're standing firm and you believe in God for a miracle? And even when you know that God could say no based on the fact that it's a consequence of your sin, the first thing you should do is you should stand up and you should say, it is well with my soul. I thank God that Jesus, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, on his face before his father, grieving the moments in which he would now have to be on the cross taking the brunt of all of our consequences of all of our sin. And he cries out to God and he says, God, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Jesus got up. Nevertheless, my father, not my will, but your will be done. I'm so glad that Jesus got up from that garden and he walked all the way to the cross Because if Jesus didn't get up and do the will of his father, we wouldn't be here today. I'm here to tell you, get up this morning and say, not my will, but your will be done. Because on the other side of the cross, there's a resurrection coming your way. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering. The second thing David does, listen to me. As the worship team comes, the second thing David does is he washes his face. And in the King James, I like it in the King James, he doesn't use lotion. In the King James, it says he anointed himself. He got up and anointed himself. He got up and washed his face. And he was anointed And friend, I want you to know that the moment that you stand up, the moment that you say, God, I'm willing to do it your way. I want your will, not my will to be done. 
and you cry out to God, God will send you an anointing of the Holy Spirit and you will be able to do the very thing that you thought you were not able to do. You will be able to get back up again and keep walking in your destiny. Friend, I want you to know that David, when he anointed himself, it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming upon David and saying, David, I know you're in a place of grieving. I know you're in a place of dismay and I know that you're in a place where you feel like you can't get up, but by Holy Spirit will come and he'll carry you through the situation in your life. Friend, I want you to know the Holy Spirit will anoint you and carry you to places that, that you think you cannot go and he'll make you do things that you cannot do. It's not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the living God that God will give you the courage to do the very thing that God called you to do. Did you know that the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus offered himself up through the eternal spirit. It is the spirit of God. Even when you're suffering the consequences of your sin. Look at me. Even when you're suffering the consequences of your sin. It is the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. The paracletus. The one that comes alongside of you. That will give you the courage to face your consequences because something good is coming your way. But I want you to notice the third thing he did. Get ready, get ready, get ready. It's time to praise the Lord. The Bible says he washed his face. He anointed himself. The Holy Spirit came upon him. And the Bible says he changed his clothes. He changed his garments. Come on, somebody. He had sackcloth and ashes on. But he took a shower, washed his face, he got anointed, and then he changed his garments. For the spirit of depression and heaviness, he put on the garment of praise. Glory to God. For the spirit of depression, he put on the garment of worship. How do I know that? Because the Bible says he washed his face, he anointed himself, and he changed his garments, and he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Let me tell you something. There is nothing more precious than a child of God going through the circumstances of his life, the consequences of his sin, understanding that there's going to be pain in the valley. But that Christian, that child of God, God puts on the garment of praise and offers the garment of praise, the sacrifice of praise to the Lord. And he begins to worship God in the good times and in the bad times. He said, Lord, you are good. You are good, Lord. And I worship you with all my heart. I'm reminded of the missionary who loved God with all of his heart. And on one occasion, his family was traveling. And while they were traveling on a ship, the ship went down, and he lost his whole family. Years later, he was traveling the same route, and when he got to that place where his whole family, his wife, his children perished, he pulled himself out onto the deck of that ship, and he looked out at that vast ocean, knowing that his wife and his children were buried in that ocean. And he raised his hands and he said, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And I'm here to tell you today that the Holy Spirit wants to come upon you and he wants to touch you. 
You that are grieving a loss. You that are going through a valley. You that are suffering the consequences of your sin. You that don't understand. God wants to touch you right now. If you would just stand to your feet right now and raise your hands toward heaven and say, yet, Lord, I will worship you. God will begin to touch you. If you begin to say, God, I don't understand, Lord, why I lost something, someone, but, Lord, I worship you, Lord. If you say, God, even if I have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, God, even if I have to deal with the consequences of my sin, God, yet I will hold on. Yet I will worship you like Job, who said, naked I came into this world, naked I will leave this world, yet I will never curse God, for he is my Redeemer, hallelujah, and I know my Redeemer liveth. If you would say like Paul the Apostle, oh, that I would want to leave this earth and be with Jesus, nevertheless, I will serve God and love God by life or by death, hallelujah. If you can say like the prophets of old, if you could say like the men and women of old, God, I will serve you no matter what happens in my life. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say there's a group of people in the hall of faith. Some of those people received their debt back to life. Some of those people received their miracle on the spot. Others did not receive their miracle but they were waiting for their miracle in heaven. And the Bible says, such people this world is not even worthy of having. Oh, there's something so sweet. Look at me, look at me. Something so sweet, so incredibly inspiring, so incredibly influential when a believer who's going through the consequences of their sin or a believer who's going through the grief of losing something in their life decides no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, I'll worship you. Come on, raise your hands and just begin to worship him right now. I know there are some people going through this right now. You're going through a loss. You're going through the consequences of your own sin. Don't get stuck. Don't get stuck in self-pity today wash your face wash your face put a smile on your face one thing I desire one thing I ask that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and to behold the beauty of the Lord hallelujah and in that place God will keep me safe in his tabernacle hallelujah wash your face let the anointing of the Holy Spirit come on you right oh the Holy Spirit's in this place right now let the power of the Holy Spirit come upon you right now. Say, Holy Spirit, come. My great comforter, my great paracletus, come right now. And put on the garment of praise. Change your posture. Change your clothing today.